To celebrate 700 shows, I've selected the best six shows from the archive for you. And the third show in the series is my interview with Will van der Hart, which was first aired in 2019. Will is a pastoral chaplain at Holy Trinity Brompton, and the conversation was based on his book, The Power of Belonging. Will looks at being vulnerable as a leader and how shame works against our engagement with others. The Leadership File on Premier. It's my joy to welcome you to The Leadership File, the show that aims to help you lead as Christ would have you lead wherever he has placed you. I'm Andy Peck, your host, and whether you listen live on a Sunday or one of the many thousands who catch up via the podcast, it's great that you can join us. Well, I'm delighted to welcome back to Leadership File, Will van der Hart. He's here to talk about themes in his latest book and how they will resonate with us as leaders. The book is called The Power of Belonging. It's co-written with Wad Waller, and it's subtitled Discovering the Confidence to Lead with Vulnerability, and is a book I believe is destined to be as valued as their books on guilt, worry and perfectionism, some of which we featured before on the Leadership File. So I'm look for, looking forward to unpacking the importance of belonging and the theme of shame, which also comes up in the book. Will is an ordained minister in the Church of England who serves as a pastoral chaplain with Holy Trinity Brompton in West London and is director of the Mind and Soul Foundation. So welcome back, Will. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be back with you. And congratulations on the book. Thank you. It's been a yeah, it's been a, a solid two years of work, oh, but um, it's great. It's great to finally have it in my hands. So. Sure, sure. So, um, some definitions first, so that we're all on the same uh, page, so to speak. Uh, the book is called "The Power of Belonging." Uh, so, what sense are you addressing the belonging issue in this book? So, what we argue is that, that effectively we all long to belong, and um, we look at a piece of psychology called that Baumeister and Leary did called um, the need to belong. And and I've always, I've been worked, I've worked in education before I was a priest, and I was we did a lot of work on attachment theory. But I always thought attachment theory started at point B rather than point A. And I was always asking, well, I'm not sure why we want to attach. Mm. But belongingness theory is the theory of the purpose of our attachment. That actually we're all born with an, an innate desire for a minimum quality of lasting positive interpersonal relationship so effectively we're creative for connection we long to belong and that power that motivation to belong affects so many of our different decisions in life and leadership so the book is really tapping into this idea that we long to belong but then it's looking at what obstacles there are to our belonging and actually what what we found is that so many leaders so many individuals whether they're leading or not feel a deep sense of unbelonging they feel that they don't quite fit in they feel that they're kind of living life as a fraud they feel that if people knew what they were really like they wouldn't want to be friends with them or be with them or certainly wouldn't let them lead and that that sense of fraudulence and shame, I think, is becoming more and more common in our society. And, and f people feeling more and more that they don't fit in, that they don't really belong here. So um, we really want to re-engage the power of belonging and say, actually, it's possible to get to back to a place of deep belonging. And that will have a revolutionary impact on your leadership and on your life. Okay. Well, we'll unpack that a little bit, bit later. But um, uh, one of the aspects that stops us uh, sensing belonging is shame. Um, 
Uh, and you contrast that with guilt, and uh, you use a metaphor which I thought was very powerful and helpful, connected to smells in Anglican churches. So um, perhaps <laughs> you could right. unpack that. I mean, I think in Christian history, we've we've often coupled together guilt and shame. Some of the mm. classic hymns and even modern worship songs sort of almost use guilt and shame in, shame mm. interchangeably, but actually they are very, very different emotions. Mm. Guilt and, and negative feelings we have about things we've actually done, mm. um, but shame is a negative feeling about ourselves, and and shame is a much earlier emotion to guilt. So shame exists in, in children and babies even from 15 months. It's, it's manifest there. Uh, Charles Darwin distinguished humans from other animals on the basis that we turn away, babies turn away with shyness, which is a, a model of shame. Um, and that obviously doesn't happen in the animal kingdom. Um, giraffes don't come out and suddenly hide their faces from other giraffes, but, but babies yes. do. Um, so it's a really it's a really instinctual and deep-rooted mm. emotion. Uh, Actually, it's it's not effectively an emotion. It's what we call an affect. So it impacts all of the other emotions that we experience. So shame is a really powerful tool in in our journey towards belonging. When I took over my first um, church as vicar in Harrow, um, there was this incredibly powerful sort of smell of ang- what I call Anglican damp. If, if if there are any Anglicans listening, they'll know what I mean. Sometimes when you go to Anglican church, you get this slightly sweet and sour damp smell, and um, it actually exists in Anglican churches around the world. Um, so I. I remember walking to this first church and having being overpowered by this smell. Um, the church needed some renovations, which we did, and one of the renovations was the toilets, which were quite damp, and I thought that might be the issue. Having spent rather a lot of money on renovations, putting in a new toilet system, dealing with the plumbing, I was really disappointed about six months down the line to still be confronted by this really overpowering smell. A couple of months later, or a month later, I was walking around the church, a really big church, and I found a small locked door at the very back end of the church and I asked the maintenance man to get the key because I wanted to go in there and um, anyway after lots of arming and arming we got the key opened the door I went in with a sort of my camera phone torch and a stick like Indiana Jones kind of wiping away the cobwebs fought my way in and no sooner as I walked in and I got three steps down into what was obviously a basement system I was confronted by a sea of just brassy stinking water putrid water and um Anyway, uh, the maintenance man didn't really know how deep this thing was. Uh, I certainly didn't. I called the fire brigade, told them, obviously, I'm the new vicar and the church is flooded. <laughs> Probably to flood in 1902, but it was sure, still sure. flooded. They came along, pumped out the basement, 3,000 gallons of no. putrid water. Yeah, And this was the problem, you know, with, with, with my with the smell. Um, actually, we had to dry out the basement. We fitted a pump. We dried it. We put heaters in. We put lighting in. And it was a very functional space. But it reminded me of the fact that actually in life and certainly in leadership, we often um, dress up above the waterline. You know, we polish our presentation, mm. we improve how we look, um, how we sound, um, how presentational we are. And we do renovations um, from the first floor and upwards. When actually, if our basement is flooded, we will always be chased down by shame. And I think the work of this book is to pump out that shame basement mm, mm. and replace it with an integrity gym and actually know that there is solid foundations to our leadership. Um, so many leaders I meet say, I'm terrified that if people really knew me that they'd never follow me. And actually I'm just holding on for retirement so I can then just go back to being myself, which is a tragic thing mm. to say if you think about it. Actually, God's called us into leadership and we should feel like we're called and that we should actually Actually, be there. Sure. So that's the work we're trying to achieve. Absolutely, um, and, it, and it occurs to me that for, for some folk, that it was the fact that they didn't belong, which was kind of a spur to leadership. So some people who 
you know, certainly in the world sense, they they as they observe other individuals who who are a bit different or a bit edgy, um, you know, even in the Christian world, that that propels them to to want to be a leader, and yet they end up. Uh, trying to lead a group of people where belonging should be a key characteristic, and yet they don't perhaps belong themselves. Right. I mean, there, there is a key sort of mythology we've we've seen in in society at large, and it's certainly impacted the church as well, which says which says that success equals security. Mm. So if I can get successful, then I'm going to get secure. Mm. And people say all sorts of things like, oh, just one more promotion, I'll feel secure. Or they say, I just need a bit more money in my pension fund, and then I'll feel secure. Or you know, just one step up in uh, up the mm. the ladder, and I'll feel secure. The reality is that success does not equal security. In fact, the reverse is true. The more success you have. Typically, the less secure you feel, because then you begin to become worried that other people want to do you down, and actually you might lose all that you have, and so you become much, much more defensive and isolated. So, success doesn't equal security, but security often equals success. So, when you feel secure, you're much more likely to lead in a secure way, and you, because you know that you belong, you can share your leadership with others confidently. Other people feel included and enfranchised, and then they grow in their leadership, and actually, the spirit of your leadership is love. And so there's, you know, those who have an ambition to lead because they believe somehow that success will lead them to feel secure are always going to be sorely disappointed. Mm-hmm. But often, often they tend to be the leaders that wound other people you know, most significantly because other people become a vehicle to their success mm-hmm. rather than an expression of their shared leadership. So we're trying to move away from what I call an iconoclastic model of mm-hmm. leadership where a leader stands on a plinth on their own and everyone looks at them and says, wow, isn't that a great leader? Mm-hmm. We're trying to move into this what I call a castel model of leadership um, in the book we've written about these um, Portuguese human towers, which sounds a bit random, but in Portugal they have this group called Castellas, and they basically build human towers out in as a sort of community activity. So they put you know, eight strong men and women at the bottom, then the next, ta- next level, the next level, the next level. They go up sometimes nine levels. Gracious. And at the top, they often they send a child wearing a crash <laughs> helmet. And, and when the child gets to the top, everyone claps. But the point is the strong people stand at the bottom and no one sees them. And that's the model of relational leadership we're looking for, that actually the weakest get celebrated, the tower is strong, but actually mm-hmm. the strength comes from the bottom up, not from the top down. And um, so that, that that's the kind of the mechanism of leadership that we're looking towards. Right. And you look at what you call the um, the roots and shoots of shame that that prevents the belonging. I don't, uh, we may just before the break have a chance to, to look maybe at the roots. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the roots of shame are very complex and mm. I, you know, we don't want to sort of dumb down shame right. as a concept. But very often shame has its, its deepest roots in, in our childhood experience, a feeling that we're actually we, mm. we don't quite belong in the families uh, that we are part of mm. or maybe we've suffered some early rejection experiences that have clouded our view of the world and made us begin to believe that we're mm. unlovable or unacceptable. Now, I believe that we've got a unique message in the leadership sphere in this book because we're not just looking at our community-based leadership, but we're actually looking at our prior um, identity as children of God and saying, actually, our shame can be overcome, not just by belonging within the context of community or belonging within the context of leadership, but knowing that we have a prior value of belonging to God, that actually he knows us and he loves us and he accepts us and welcomes us and he's paid the price for us. So um, there's this sense of the two tracks of belonging being a very powerful antidote to shame. But shame is often manifest in our lives in um, the uh, shoots as defensiveness, 
uh, aggression, um, isolationism, um, you know, a, a drivenness towards achievement or success, an inability mm. to celebrate our winnings. So the shoots of shame often undo collegiate or collaborative leadership models. Uh, the roots of shame are to do with our rejection, our sense of guilt, which often then um, folds into shame. We feel bad about the things we do and then we feel bad about the people that we are. Um, shame has its roots in experience of genuine rejection, which we take to be a statement of our true selves rather than the expressions of other people's aggression towards us. So there's there's lots of manifestations of shame in our lives. But I think the hard thing about shame is it's easy to say, I feel angry, or I feel guilty, or I feel happy, or I feel sad. It's really hard to say, I feel shame, because shame doesn't really feel like anything. Um, we talk about the shame conductor as being, shame is the most powerful uh, emotion affect uh, in your emotional repertoire but 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 it's actually the only one that hasn't got a voice of its own it tends to distort other voices in your emotional spectrum uh, rather than having its own unique sound and so if we asked you and you know what's the most powerful instrument in an orchestra you might say the timpani drums or you know the tuba or you know the first violin but actually the most powerful instrument in the orchestra is the conductor's baton and it's the only instrument that makes absolutely no sound right. of its own shame is like that we can deal with all of the other emotions but actually if we haven't dealt with shame then the orchestra of our hearts will always play a discordant tune. And that, that's something we, we don't want to let lie, so that's what we want to deal with. Amen. Well, you're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Val Will van der Hart. He's talking about the book The Power of Belonging. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Will van der Hart. He's uh, the co-author of the book The Power of Belonging, uh, subtitled Discovering the Confidence to Lead with Vulnerability. Uh, and is a book, as I said uh, before, I believe is destined to be as valued as their books on guilt, worry and perfectionism. So, uh, Will, uh, you, you yourself um, have modelled the book to some extent in terms of uh, you faced some, you know, some, some a very traumatic incident connected with King's Cross and, uh, and had some, some kind of challenges through that and have been open about that. And uh, uh, you know, in some cases, people have questioned whether you should have been as open and vulnerable as you are. So uh, just share a little bit about your own story and how it's connected with the book. Well, I think to start off with, I'd say that, you know, I was definitely a shame-bound leader. Mm. You know, when I when I first kind of came into ministry, I, I very recognised there was a huge dualism mm. in me. I didn't feel... Um, confident or didn't feel secure and I was definitely working for approval and mm. I think that's very common. Mm. Um, then I experienced um, a sort of PTSD anxiety based breakdown after the London bombings which you describe and um, what that did in a way it, it, it was a terrible time but in some ways it was a, such a gift to me as a leader because it very publicly disempowered me from the narrative of success equals security. Mm. I, ostensibly I was becoming successful but I was terribly insecure and I couldn't hide anymore behind my abilities. I had to take time off work, um, I was I had you know, diagnosed with a GAD condition, a generalized anxiety disorder, which is a mental health condition. A temptation at the time was to hide the whole thing away. But I felt very much that God spoke to me powerfully about not doing that and beginning to become a voice of advocacy around the issue of emotional mental health in the Christian world. Mm. There were definitely voices who said, well, you know, you don't want to talk too much about this. 
people will call you the mental priest, um, you know, it will damage your ministry. And I, I kind of pushed on with the encouragement mm. of some dear friends, including Rob, who I wrote this book with. Um, I think what it has done is it's shown me that vulnerability in the long haul is a huge blessing and not a curse. Yes, there are some people who might dismiss you as, you know, the crazy vicar guy or the guy who's a bit weak uh, or the guy who had the breakdown. But actually, that's totally fine. Um, if that's where they're at, I'm, abs- I'm really happy with that. What, what I'm most, what, what, what's most liberating to me is the fact that I know that I'm leading as I am. And actually, if people accept my leadership, then wonderful. And if they don't accept it, that's fine too. But at least I know they're they're accepting it on real terms or they're rejecting it on real terms. And it's very easy in leadership to create a false persona. And as soon as you do that, you lead behind that persona. Then if people like your leadership or celebrate your leadership, you don't receive any benefit from that because you don't believe that you're actually receiving that benefit. Only the pastiche of you is receiving Mm. that benefit. Equally, if your leadership is critiqued, you can't receive that and appropriately amend your leadership because actually they're not really critiquing you. They're critiquing a pastiche of you. So you can't be discipled. So neither can you be celebrated nor can you be discipled. You're just watching a play and you're just playing a part. Yeah but you're not authentically present. And I think one of the most heartbreaking um, ways to lead is to be leading with all of the authority and all of the responsibility that God's given you, but not actually to be showing up. And I also think um, in a church where we've seen innumerate scandals and um, breakdowns of leadership in the public square, so much of that is related to shame. And ultimately, how long can you lead from the back room um, without the back room becoming a poisonous place. Um, Actually, if leaders are saying authentically, look, I've got a problem, or I'm feeling really vulnerable, uh, this is who I am, you know me, you can support me, they're far less likely to take dramatic diversion into whatever it is, drugs, illicit relationships, pornography, whatever the issue is, in the back room, because actually, they're living authentically with those that they're leading and they know that they're known. And that's a powerful gift. Hmm. Um, and, I, you know, that's one we want to advocate. It's, it's the power of belonging. It's, it's saying, actually, yeah. we're all in this together. We can, we can do this together. Hmm. And I guess that's the, one of the ironies of the whole situation is that you, you hide yourself because you think you're going to get, it's going to be painful to display yourself. But actually, you, in the hiding of that, you don't get any affirmation. You get, you get the support that you think because you know it's all false. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. As yeah. soon as you start hiding in plain sight, you have to keep that pastiche yeah. alive. You know, I, I, I wrote yesterday around the whole fake it to make it culture, mm. which we reference again mm. in the book. There is no worse career advice than fake mm. it to make it. Yeah. Not because you won't make it, but because of what happens when you do make it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. The problem is you could fake it to make it, but once you've made it, the making it, the success is based on a relational lie, a relational mm. deceit, because you haven't been authentic. But then to become, to belong, you have to be authentic. You have to actually show mm. up. Mm. So your success is actually a victim of your, of yes. your honesty. Yes. So you're stuck in this dichotomy where you've made it, but you have to continue to fake it. You mm. can't just put up your hands and say, oh, by the way, guys, I faked it for the last 10 years to get into this position of leadership, and now I'm going to show you what I'm really like. 
Mm-hmm. All your leadership credibility is completely destroyed. Yeah, yeah. So you've you've taken terrible advice at the beginning, which has led you to a position where you're basically stuck, mm-hmm. and you're in this inextricable quandary between succeeding and belonging. And unfortunately, that is the position that many senior leaders have mm-hmm. found themselves in business and in the church. And actually, a way to lead beyond that is to to lead from the beginning authentically with a heart to belong. Yeah. You know, I see I've, the, the fake it to make it statement. I was thinking in, in Christian circles, people are sort of aware that that's not a good thing. But the version of culture is becoming, you know, a new thing. Sort of, I hear a lot in Christian circles now. How can you become the best version of yourself? Mm. But actually, that's even more malign than the fake it to make it culture. Mm. At least with fake it to make it, people acknowledge that they're faking it. This mm. idea that that you could be a version of you yes. is completely malign. That says that. Um, actually, you can have multiple human, authentic human realities, mm. and life's all about trying to find best fit. Yes. I mean, the Lord knows us as we truly are, yeah, yeah. and he loves us as we truly are. And becoming the best version of us is about as malign as it can get. Indeed. We've got to be authentic in leadership, and we've got to be tran- you know, transformed in our leadership. And that doesn't mean creating a pastiche of ourselves and finding out which one works best with the people we're with. Hmm. It's about being who we actually are. Um, and I think until we actually engage with that reality, we're, we're really in trouble. Yeah. So the power of belonging is all about sure. how can we get over this and begin to lead authentically. Well, obviously, we're encouraging folks to, to read the book, uh, to buy the book and read the book. Uh, but obviously, a few tips. I know this, this may be... You know, ridiculous question in a few minutes as the end of a of, of, of a show, but a few things people are listening and thinking crumbs. Will you're you're describing me? What's the first step? What what should they be starting to do if they realise that they've to some extent faked it? Yeah, I mean the the book is is uh, the end of every book mm. is a yeah. um, is a study guide for people to actually do the work. So that's sure. that's really important. I think there are natural things that we tend to do. One is oversharing, and actually we've got a whole chapter about how yes. how oversharing isn't belonging. Yes. Um, at the heart of the journey is the idea that you have authentic community with a small number of trusted individuals. Mm-hmm. What, what, one of the sort of counter reactions to work like mine is that people say, oh, you just want me to be a bleeding heart in the public square, mm-hmm. as if every vicar or every business leader stands up and tells everyone all their dirty laundry every week to sort of validate themselves. That isn't belonging. Mm-hmm. That's just another attempt to manipulate people into a sympathy follow. Yeah. Actually, what we're talking about here is you are absolutely authentically known to God and you're absolutely authentically known and understood by a smaller group of trusted individuals who can disciple you and who you can disciple. What we tend to find is if you are, if you know who you are in the back room, you will be able to be who you are in the front room. Mm. Of course, there's appropriate levels of sharing. When I go to the doctor, I expect my doctor to wear a, you know, a suit, jacket, or tie, and look professional, mm. and treat me like a doctor. If I turn up to my doctor and he's wearing a dirty T-shirt and tells me I had a big curry the night before <laughs> and he's feeling a bit tired and he's not quite sure he's going to be any good, yeah. that's not the kind of service I want. <laughs> he might say, well, I'm just being authentic. And I'm saying, well, I want you to be authentic and professional. Sure. So we often mistake this idea that I need to be a sort of, you mm. know, I need to overshare as the way to belonging. Ultimately, belonging is in our hearts. And I would say if... If, if, if anyone listening feels like, I, I totally feel like a fraud, I completely relate to what you, I would really encourage them to get this book mm. and to read it, to study it, and to do the study guide and to begin that journey with one or two trusted friends. Uh, but that comes from a point of saying, initially, I know that I have a problem 
And the, the greatest um, challenge for this book will be amongst leaders who are saying, oh, no, this isn't for me. I've not got a problem in this issue. Mm. Just this morning, someone put something up, uh, one, one of the pre-readers, because this book is out on the 1st of February, one of the pre-readers said, I'm 10... 10 pages in, and this is throwing up some of the biggest challenges uh, that I've read. So this is just 10 pages in. So it's obviously, you know, this is a mature Christian leader. It's obviously quite hard-hitting on that level. And I think whenever we feel like our, we're about to be rumbled in our falsity, that's when we get terrified and often kick back by saying, this isn't for me. So I'd encourage people to press in with the read, um, but get connected, be honest with yourself, if you're in a relationship, be honest with your spouse. Um, talk about the feelings of fraudulence. Brené Brown said that shame cannot survive empathy. There aren't any sort of brilliant psychological tools to overcome shame, apart from the brilliant reality of you're connected and you're talking. Mm. So I'd encourage people who feel shame-bound or fraudulent to begin to start talking about the feelings that they're encountering because that the feelings are often the first step to finding recovery. So start talking and start being vulnerable about how you feel. But honestly, I'd recommend people have a guide for that journey. And I think the power of belonging is, is the start of that journey for many people. So um, I hope that uh, those who are listening who resonate will, will have a read. Well, thank you. Thank you, Will, very much. So it's uh, The Power of Belonging, uh, subtitled Discovering the Confidence to Lead with Vulnerability. It's uh, Will van der Hart and w- Rob Waller, that's W-A-L-L-E-R, uh, and it's published by... It's by David C. Cook. David C. And Cook. I, actually, we've got a website attached with um, which people can ex- enjoy a sample chapter, and also they can watch some videos introducing all of the chapters of the book. That's and that's, that's just www.powerofbelonging.com, and there are um, order facilities from every good Christian retailer and secular okay. retailer right there. So, so powerofbelonging.com okay. uh, if people want to find out more. Okay, and if you, uh, if you go to the on-demand section of the, of the leadership file, I'll make sure that's... That's there as well. Fabulous. Well, thank you, Will, so much. Thanks so much, Andy, always for your time. Appreciate it. Right. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you for listening. Do uh, log on to Premier's uh, website and listen to On Demand recordings of Leadership File. Go to iTunes or other uh, places where you get your uh, regular podcast and you can get this as a podcast and maybe that's how you're listening to it now. I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. This is Andy Peck thanking you for joining us for this six-part series. You can find all the regular archive material by going to the Leadership File podcast on premierradio.com, iTunes or Podbean. You can email me your comments on the show, apec at cwr.org.uk. And the show broadcasts every week at 3.30. So I look forward to your company next week for the next show in the series, this time with Roz Turner.